Section 7 of the Curtis Aviation Book by Glenn Curtis and Augustus Post. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2 My First Flights by Glenn H. Curtis. Chapter 3 The June Bug First Flights for the Scientific American Trophy and First Experiments with the Hydro Aeroplane. Following the success of the White Wing, we started in to build another machine embodying all that we had learned from our experience with the two previous ones following our custom of giving each machine a name to distinguish it from the preceding one we called this third aeroplane the june bug the name was aptly chosen for it was a success from the very beginning indeed it flew so well that we soon decided it was good enough to win the trophy which had been offered by the scientific american for the first public flight of one kilometre or five-eighths of a mile straight away this trophy by the way was the first to be offered in this country for an aeroplane flight and the conditions specified that it should become the property of the person winning it three years in succession the june bug was given a thorough tryout before we made arrangements to fly for the trophy and we were confident it would fulfil the requirements the fourth of july nineteen o eight was the day set for the trial a large delegation of aero club members came on from new york and washington among whom were stanley y beach allen r hawley augustus post david fairchild charles m manley christopher j lake a m herring george h guy e l jones wilbur r kimball captain thomas s baldwin and many other personal friends the excitement among the citizens of hammondsport in general was little less than that existing among the members of the aerial experiment association and seldom had the fourth of july been awaited with greater impatience when independence day finally dawned it did not look auspicious for the first official aeroplane flight for a trophy clouds boded rain and there was some wind this did not deter the entire population of Hammondsport from gathering on the heights around the flying field, under the trees in the valley, and, in fact, at every point of vantage. Some were on the scene as early as five o'clock in the morning, and many brought along baskets of food and made a picnic of it. The rain came along toward noon, but the crowd hoisted its umbrellas, or sought shelter under the trees, and stayed on. Late in the afternoon the sky cleared, and it began to look as if we were to have the chance to fly after all. The June bug was brought out of its tent, and the motor given a try-out. It worked all right. The course was measured, and a flag put up to mark the end. Everything was ready, and about seven o'clock in the evening the motor was started, and I climbed into the seat. When I gave the word to let go, the June bug skimmed along over the old race track for perhaps two hundred feet, and then rose gracefully into the air. The crowd set up a hearty cheer, as I was told later, for I could hear nothing but the roar of the motor, and I saw nothing except the course and the flag marking a distance of one kilometre. The flag was quickly reached and passed, and still I kept the aeroplane up, flying as far as the open fields would permit and finally coming down safely in a meadow fully a mile from the starting-place i had thus exceeded the requirements and had won the scientific american trophy for the first time 
I might have gone a great deal farther, as the motor was working beautifully and I had the machine under perfect control, but to have prolonged the flight would have meant a turn in the air or passing over a number of large trees. The speed of this first official flight was closely computed at 39 miles an hour. Dr. Bell had gone to Nova Scotia, unfortunately, and therefore did not witness the 4th of July flight of the June bug. The other members, however, were all present. It was a great day for all of us, and we were more confident than ever that we had evolved, out of our long and costly experiments, a machine that would fly successfully and with safety to the operator. Lieutenant Selfridge was particularly enthusiastic, and I recall when Mr. Holcomb, special agent for a life insurance company, visited the field one day and heard Selfridge talk about flying. "'You must be careful, Selfridge,' said Mr. Holcomb, "'or we will need a bed for you in the hospital of which I am a trustee.' "'Oh, I am careful all right,' replied Selfridge. But it was only a few days later when he left Hammondsport for Washington and was killed while flying as a passenger with Orville Wright at Fort Myer. In Selfridge we lost not only one of the best-posted men in the field of aeronautics, a student and a man of practical ideas, but one of our best-loved companions and co-workers as well. Three machines had thus far been built and flown. First the Red Wing, designed by Lieutenant Selfridge, next the White Wing, by Baldwin, and last the June Bug, by me. It was now McCurdy's turn, and he designed a machine which he named the Silver Dart. While this was building, we decided to take the June Bug down to the lake, equip it with a set of pontoons or a boat, and attempt to fly from the water. It was my idea that if we could design a float that would sustain the aeroplane on an even keel, and at the same time furnish a minimum of resistance, we would be able to get up enough speed to rise from the water. Besides, the lake would afford an ideal flying place, and, what was more important still, a fall or a bad landing would not be nearly so likely to result in injury to the aviator. Accordingly, we mounted the June Bug on two floats, built something like a catamaran, and renamed it the Loon. It required some time to construct light and strong floats, and it was not until the beginning of November 1908 that we were ready for the first attempt to fly from the water ever made in this or any other country. The Loon was hauled down to the lake from the aerodrome on a two-wheeled cart, there being no wheels for rolling it over the ground. I remember we had to build a platform on the cart, and to strengthen the wheels to carry the weight of nearly one thousand pounds, which the added equipment had brought the total weight up to. This first experimental hydro-aeroplane was a crude affair as compared with the machine in which I made the first successful flight from and landing upon the water more than three years later at San Diego, California, the cleaner lines, the neat lightweight boat, and other details of the Curtis Hydro Aeroplane offer as striking a contrast to the loon as the modern locomotive offers to the crude clumsy affairs that now exist only in the museums. So great is the difference that one is inclined to marvel that we had any success whatever with that first design. We made many attempts to rise from the water in the loon, 
but owing to the great weight we were unable to make any real flights although the observers on shore were sure that the pontoons were sometimes clear of the water by the end of november our experiments had convinced every one of us that we needed more power and more time than we had at our disposal just then the best motor we had at our command was able to deliver only enough power to drive the loon at twenty-five miles an hour on the water this was not enough to get the machine into the air unless assisted by a strong headwind and we were not anxious to try flying in a strong wind in the meantime mccurdy's machine the silver dart had been completed and mounted on wheels the first flight was made by mccurdy on december twelfth nineteen o eight over the stony brook flying field the silver dart was practically the same as the june bug shortly after this it was shipped to dr bell's place in baddeck nova scotia where mccurdy and casey baldwin used it all through the winter in practice making flights from the ice and covering all the country thereabouts mccurdy estimates that in his some two hundred flights in the silver dart he covered more than a thousand miles end of section seven recording by maria casper